Our text is a very brief one today uh, from 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to read just verses 1 through 3, John, 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, uh, but also for the sins of the whole world. If anyone does sin... Uh, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Last week I told a little story uh, about uh, my opening up the refrigerator door and grabbing a bag of shredded uh, cheddar cheese and uh, the seal was not properly closed. I pulled it out and it actually dropped onto the floor and cheddar cheese all over, all over the kitchen floor. And you remember that I said, uh, the very first thought that came to my mind is, who did this? Couldn't be me. Only one other person in the house. It, what strikes me is how quickly that thought comes. I don't think about it. It's instinctive. Somebody left that bag open, and it could not have been me. A couple of you um, stopped me on the way out last week and, and said, you, you didn't finish the story. You didn't say who had left it in there. And I actually planned to do that, but I just forgot. I just forgot. Um, and so, of course, we know that the answer is that I myself... Um, failed to seal it properly, and it was, all, it was all on me. It was not at all my uh, lovely wife who was at fault uh, in that situation. But what is far more important than simply clearing her good name, if you will, what is far more important than that it is for us to see that that is not just a picture of my heart. The way you chuckle during such a story tells me that I'm not alone in this. There's something going on in our hearts. When something goes wrong, when we sin, when we make a mistake, uh, we, can, we not just can find someone else to blame, we, our hearts move in that direction. Um, there's a word that I want to teach you today. Um, most of you, or some of you may know it, but kids, I want, to, I want you to learn this word today. And the word is self-advocacy. Self-advocacy. That means you are representing yourself. um, You are defending yourself. You are fighting for you. Self-advocacy. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father... Uh, Jesus Christ the righteous. We're thinking today about another advocate besides ourselves. Let Jesus 
represent you. Let Jesus defend you. Let Jesus fight for you. My theme this morning is that we, by the grace of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit, more and more would replace instinctive self-advocacy with trust in Jesus, the true advocate. That more and more, in dependence upon grace and through the power of the Spirit, all of that, we're depending on the Lord, but our desire is to replace instinctive self-advocacy with trust in Jesus, who is the true advocate, the true one who's come for us, the gentle one, the strong one. What is an advocate? It is similar, as we spoke last week, it is similar, very similar, uh, to an intercessor, uh, as we saw from Hebrews chapter 7. An intercessor, we said, is one who speaks to another on your behalf. One who speaks to a third party on your behalf, standing between the two parties in order to bring them together. An advocate, according to John Bunyan, and I think it's proper to say this, an advocate is more targeted. You see, in Hebrews 7, we saw that that Jesus, as the intercessor, always lives to make intercession for you. He is a priest always on duty. We might say in a general way, he's always interceding for you. Praise God for that. But you see, John is saying something quite different, a little bit different here. He's saying that your advocate is available and on duty when you sin. So it's not, it's not always serving as your advocate, but particularly when you sin. John Bunyan wrote an entire book out of this one verse from 1 John chapter 2. Uh, that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Jesus Christ. He's called the righteous for good reason here. Uh, when we have sinned big, when we have sinned in a grievous way, when we have blown it big time and our conscience is burdened with shame and perhaps discouraged by the, our failure and the slowness of progress, it may be a public sin where we, where our reputation is tattered in front of other people and we feel that added shame. It could be when we have hurt another person and we are aware of, of, of how our words have cut deeply in another person, how our words have wounded. We, we are there, our clothes stained and desperate for an advocate and Jesus the righteous one comes up and gives us his robe and he says, try this on. Wear this instead. This is, a, this is an advocate. He is one who is on duty for you at your particular point of need. He is called paraclete. Um, he is called the advocate. A paraclete who sympathizes with you. This word shows up five times in the New Testament. Four times they're on the mouth of Jesus describing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Four times 
referred to the Spirit, John 14, 15, and 16, who is called helper or comforter or companion in a variety of translations. There is good reason for thinking of that the, perhaps the best way to understand paraclete is the advocate. An advocate who sympathizes with you. Let me put it this way. You have an advocate inside working that internal witness. And the work of this internal witness, the internal witness of the Spirit, is to bring Jesus' words to you to get so that you get in touch with your true friend, your advocate. The Holy Spirit is an advocate to lead you to know and trust in Jesus, the advocate, the advocate in heaven. I think of this fairly often. Why don't Christians just Give up. Really. The world is very dark out there. And there is darkness in our own lives. How come we just don't give up and give in and just let evil hold sway? Because you have an advocate in you that gets you in touch with the advocate for you. Perhaps no better way to say it. An advocate in you to get you in touch with the advocate for you. Your advocate in heaven. Sometimes you feel too stained to pray, too discouraged to pray. But your advocate represents you at your worst and still defends you and fights for you. All this is the advocate. Well, why do you need an advocate? This should be fairly clear, but, but the text makes it very cl- plain in, in a particular way. You need an advocate because sin arouses God's wrath. And notice that he, Jesus Christ, the righteous, Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the propitiation for our sins. Uh, the, your conscience, as well as mine, uh, is, uh, is, is an informant. Uh, It is an informant that we deserve God's wrath. We know this instinctively, and the scripture teaches it, Romans chapters 1 and 2, that we deserve God's wrath, and the gospel tells us that Jesus willingly took it. He did not die to make the Father love you, but because the Father already did. Do you understand that? He did not die to make the Father love you, but because he already did. And so it is in his love that that, uh, is found a substitute for the punishment of your sin in the punishment of his son. So God, by the work of Jesus, resolved the problem of his wrath against you by pouring out his wrath against him. All of that is propitiation. And then there is this phrase, So, if perchance you do sin. It almost sounds that way, doesn't it? Well, the testimony of the scripture as well as our own hearts represent, we recognize that sin is is not just a once in a while activity. Even as we read James chapter 1 verses 19 and following, that text is written to Christians who have a hard time with their tongues with their anger, with their interrupting, with their failure to listen. 
with hearing the word and then going around and doing the opposite, for overlooking the needy among them. This is us that the epistle is speaking of. And even as we make progress in the Christian life, we, we become more aware of how we fall short. An immature Christian can sin and hardly even think about it. A mature Christian can sin and have a hard time stop thinking about it. So we need an advocate. We need an advocate. But the great complicating factor here is, is that um, uh, the, the, our sin includes the big sin of self-advocacy. Our sinful condition, our sinful state, even as redeemed individuals, includes the great sin of self-advocacy. You have your own bag of shredded cheese on the floor, don't you? And much worse. And you instinctively self-advocate Argue your own case. You have that natural impulse to rise to speak on your own behalf. Kids, your mom may correct you. Your mom may, your mom may, may say, you know, you, you stop treating your, your sister, your brother, your sister that way. And, and you will, you, what will come out of your mouth almost immediately, it's her fault, not mine. You're targeting the wrong person. That one started it. I didn't. That, that rises up. We, children, that is what it means to be a self-advocate. I'm arguing for my, defending myself, I'm arguing for myself. And so it is that we minimize our sin and so excuse ourselves and give tortured explanations while we're, why we're not at fault. But listen to what John says. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 1, verse 10. And here's the great danger. I think of the words of of Michael Horton um, in in this connection, Christless Christianity. This is is a danger in in, in the most mature of Christian hearts. It is still a danger to manage sin without the cross, to manage sin without Jesus. And there is a vast difference between knowing the truth about Jesus and knowing Jesus himself. And one of the best indicators of that is this problem of self-advocacy. So right there, at your exposure of sin, um, as your defense is rising in your mind within that one-eighth of a second, Right at that moment, um, you embark on the journey of faith. What do, what do I mean by this? One, one, writer, one writer put it this way, uh, that, the, that many times the act of faith for a Christian in dealing with his heart, and as we're talking about today, the act of faith is similar to jumping off a cliff. Say you've got a bungee cord attached to yourself, you're jumping off the cliff, and it is scary. It's scary until, until you finally feel that cord 
beginning to pull your weight. Hold your... So the act of faith is, is, is launching yourself off a cliff and it's that moment of panic when you wonder if anyone's there to catch you. If you are, if you are instinctively engaged in this self-advocacy, you are avoiding, you're avoiding that life of faith, of living even with that momentary sense of desperation. Because you've got your advocate, you have no need for the true advocacy of Jesus. And so the call here is trust your advocate. He is Jesus the righteous. We, we have that fight against that low-grade sense that we don't quite measure up and that we need a righteous advocate and he is here. He points to his all-sufficient sacrifice and he says, I've literally got this covered. He gives you his legal standing. He is the fully righteous one. He is the Lamb of God without spot or blemish that takes away the sin of the world. He is the, the goat of the, of the Day of Atonement who takes your sin and, and one goat is taken out into the wilderness and just released and runs away. The other goat is, is slain. For God's sake, for the righteous, the righteous, for the unrighteous. Jesus Christ is the righteous, the righteous advocate, but he is also the gentle one. These words from Matthew 11, uh, 29, the only place that to Jesus, where Jesus self-describes his own heart, and he says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly. And his kindness leads you to him. And your advocate comes to you uh, in your offense to plead his righteousness, and he does so at your point of greatest failure. But I want, what is this heart like? What is this heart like? You, you think of your own temper, you're aware of your temper and your tongue, and your heart, in your heart, you're, he's gotta be impatient. He's got to be impatient and intolerant with me. You think about your appetites and would you return to those appetites like a dog to a vomit and you're thinking he's got to be disgusted. I am. He's got to be that way. You think of your own resentment, of your out-of-bounds sexual desires. You, you, he's got to be offended. But it is Satan that accuses with cold ha- hatred. It is Jesus who defends us with warm friendship and advocates out of his gentle heart. I want to be very specific as I wrap things up today. Um, I, want you to, I want you to walk out of this room after the Lord's Supper. Walk out of this room um, with this question in mind. What words do you use that signal your self-advocacy? What words do you use that signal your self-advocacy? They could be words that you say. They could be words that you think. I've got three examples from Scripture. They all start with D. Hopefully you'll be able to, we'll be able to bring these to mind readily. Uh, how, how do you how do you deflect? How do you deflect? Remember in the garden, perhaps the sharpest biblical example of this, Adam turns the table on God. <laughs> the woman you gave me, she. The grand deflection. God, you're looking at the wrong person. The, the sinner is over there. 
deflection. What are your words of deflection? Someone brings something to your attention and you immediately think, what right do you have? You immediately think, what about you? Who are you to tell me anything? These are words of deflection. You are your self-advocate. And the crime here is that you do not believe that you either need or have a Savior, the true advocate, because you're doing just fine on your own. Do you deflect? Secondly, do you deny? Moses, you recall, was fresh off the mountain. He's coming down. He's got the ten... The ten words, the, the two tablets on ten words in his hands, and there's a raucous party that is uh, surrounding this golden calf. And he asked Aaron this question, what did the people do uh, that you've committed such a big sin? Do you remember Aaron's response? Me? You think the problem's with me? They gave me their gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. A miracle! It, it just appeared. It wasn't me. It, it, is, it is sheer, irrational, blinding denial. I didn't do it. It's not my fault. Not me. Do you deflect or do you deny? And, and, and the third, do you deceive? And these deceptions all throughout this, but, but do you deceive yourself? Is there self-deception specifically going on? You really need the Holy Spirit to help you with all of these. But, but listen, listen, remember that Samuel had told Saul the, uh, not to uh, bring any of the sacrifice, not to offer any of the sacrifices. Saul said, Samuel said, I'm on my way. I'll be there. I'll, I'll take care of the sacrifice. And, 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 and Saul, uh, went ahead, he got, got antsy, and he just gave in to pressure. He just gave in to pressure, and he, and he offered up the sacrifices. But listen to what he said. Sam, Samuel, I, I, I forced myself to do it. You see, there was such pressure. I, I didn't want to do it, but uh, people were bugging me, and I forced myself. I just had to do it. Really? Is that the best you can come up with? Your words then. I, I didn't have a choice. Have you ever used those words? I didn't have a choice. Have you ever used these words? I couldn't help it. It just happened. Now, these are examples, and I'm sure you can find some connection to some of these, but, but the point is, the point is, what are your words of self-advocacy? Do, do you know? Do you know? Uh, um, are, are you secure enough in Christ to ask a very close friend, um, what do you think my words of self-advocacy are? <laughs> Whoa. Wouldn't that be something? Sit down with a family member, a spouse, someone in your, someone who's very close to you. How have you heard me self-advocate? Advocate. If you don't see it yourself, that's a valuable question. I could imagine we could even sit around our dining room tables and ask, what are our family sins of self-advocacy? How do we as a family 
generally avoid taking responsibility for things? How do we practice? Do we have a culture of deflection or of denial or of self-deception? Maybe we better not do that during dinner. Could, could get a little, little bit of past the tums and, and what is your area of self-advocacy? I guess we could do it that way. I'm kind of playing with this a little bit, but, but, but what is so critical here? There are Christians who have been Christians for decades and have never considered or made progress in dealing with their self-advocacy and they are uncorrectable. They are uncorrectable. Don't let that be you or me. Trust Jesus, the righteous, to advocate for you. Our instincts are so familiar. They feel so natural. But the call today is to repent of what feels natural and to jump off the cliff and trust Christ. Jesus, argue your righteousness on my behalf. Argue your righteousness on my behalf before the Father. Let me be persuaded by your blood spilled for me. I pray the Holy Spirit to work his advocacy in you so that you more quickly turn to your true advocate. And here's the beauty of it, dear friends. Your twisted, contorted explanations melt away in the simple sufficiency of Jesus the true advocate, Jesus, the righteous. And you will change. You will change. You cannot come face to face with your gentle Savior without taking more and more responsibility for yourself, but also becoming more gentle to the people around you. And everybody in your life is going to be grateful for it. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we come before you and, um, I don't know, which, your salvation is so much greater than we often think. We, we, have, we have whittled down our own uh, sinful hearts to the point where we barely need a Savior. And we have missed um, honesty with you and knowing more deeply our true advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so we ask that in our homes and in our church, and just where that our lives would be characterized by this, as B.B. Warfield writes it out, this sense that we are sinners deeper than we thought, but that's not, that's not even the biggest part of the story. The biggest part of the story is we've got an incredible joy in Christ because of what he's done for us and who he is in us and for us. And so as we, as we prepare now to take the supper, we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would give us disarming honesty and great love, great love for our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. I, I